We take our brightest people in the, in the U.S. and put them through medical school. And I think that the industry has left some people behind. And I love that physicians are starting to regain a place at the table as medical decisions and hospital decisions are being made. It's swinging back. And I love that I can be a part of that. Anything I can do to make people regain their passion and be impactful, I'm all for it. My faculty feel the same way. Hey, this is Justin Harvey, your host of the Anesthesia Success Podcast. My wife is an anesthesia resident, and I'm a financial planner, and I work with anesthesia and pain doctors as my clients. This podcast is designed to help the anesthesia community be informed about their careers, their finances, and more by taking important questions straight to the experts. Thanks for tuning in. This week, I speak with Dr. Kate Atchley about MBA programs for physicians. So if you're out there and you've ever wondered if an advanced degree, specifically an MBA, a physician executive MBA in this case, would be a worthwhile investment of your time and money, you won't want to miss this episode. So make sure and stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Anesthesia Success Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Harvey. Our guest this week is Dr. Kate Ashley. Kate is a distinguished lecturer at the University of Tennessee, as well as the executive director for the Physician Executive MBA program at the Haslam College of Business at University of Tennessee at Knoxville. In addition, Kate oversees the strategy and implementation for three other executive MBA programs at UT for aerospace and defense, supply chain management, and leadership. I'm really excited to have Kate here today to help us understand how an MBA may enhance a physician's career, and what it takes to complete an MBA while also being a busy physician. Kate, thanks a lot for joining us today. Hi, Justin. Thank you for having me. So to kick off, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your background and how you came to your current role at Haslam. That is interesting. This is not where I thought I would be doing when I grew up. Um, we have that conversation with our physicians as well about what do you want to be when you grow up. Um, I, my background is industrial and organizational psychology. And when I was finishing my PhD, I had an opportunity to work with a brand new program here at the college, and it was our Physician Executive MBA program. So I fell in love with the program and working with that group of students, and I ended up staying here. Excellent. What was it that drew you to the program? I come from a family of physicians. I'm the only non-physician in my family. And so I... Um, Grew up in my formative years learning about that experience of going through medical school, starting a practice, what the struggles were. In my industrial and organizational uh, role, I had been working around leadership development and career planning and, and those types of topics. And the role that I had in our physician program was helping work with the physicians. Where are you? Where do you want to be? How do you develop those skills? How can we make you more successful wherever you want to land? I just naturally gravitated towards it. Physicians are such a fun group to teach. They're, learn, they're used to learning quickly. They're used to asking lots of great questions. And so it makes for a very rich learning environment. And that's something that I enjoy as a faculty member. Excellent. Um, I was reading a, a quote from you uh, that said something to this effect, and I, I'd like to hear your reaction to this. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that an educator's highest calling is to help students find their highest calling. At the Physician MBA program, I believe we make a difference in healthcare by empowering physicians to do just that, and so that they can empower others, and so it goes. Can you elaborate a little bit on how your idea of an educator's highest calling in this context and equipping physicians manifests itself in the way that you've built the program? I believe that the role of an educator is to help individuals understand the question and possible solutions to what they want to achieve and how, how can they get there? How do we help them get there? We don't have all the answers. That's not the role of an educator. It's um, helping people get the resources and skills that they need 
for them to solve the answer. For our physicians, we've always built the physician curriculum around what does every physician leader need to know. And that looks different for different physicians. Some physicians have fallen out with uh, the love of clinical practice because of the stress and they want to find their passion again. How do they make that situation less stressful? How do they have more control over their, their life? Other physicians come to us because they have this great idea for a, um, a business plan, but they don't know where to go from there. They can see it in their head, but they don't know how to put it on paper, and we can help them do that. Others want to give back to the community, and how do they make that a sustainable venture for themselves and their community? People have many different paths, and whatever path our physicians want to take. We want to help get them. Yeah, there. that sounds great. And I, I'm interested. You know, you, you mentioned that obviously there's a it's a hot topic now in medicine, the idea of burnout. Um, I'm interested to know is the MBA something that clinicians will often use to try to maybe attain greater work life balance by having developing some administrative or leadership acumen that will potentially lessen their clinical load? Is that something that people come in with that idea? And does that end up working for them? I, I could see a situation where maybe someone would say, oh, I need to do the MBA to do the leadership stuff. So I kind of get out of the more of the clinical focused work, but then potentially the administrative and leadership roles can take up a lot more time than they might anticipate. They do come to us with the idea of what else is out there? What else can I be doing? I'm not achieving the satisfaction or the work-life balance that I want. I don't know if anyone, and, and some, some people do come to us with the idea of, I want to be a CEO or a COO or chief quality officer. They have those goals. The MBA is really about giving more options to an individual to help control and build what they want. And there's other ways to get that control and to build what you want as well. You don't have to have an MBA to do that, but it gives you this language and a set of resources that you can draw upon to create the type of career that you want to have. So I, I'm interested, you know, what does your program look like as far as the curriculum? How are you specifically equipping physicians for augmenting their skill set and preparing them for different opportunities? Our program was built with the help of physicians over uh, 20 years ago. We used focus groups to, to decide what we needed to do, the approach we needed to take. It's a very hands-on approach. We don't have tests. We have projects because that's what real life is about. It's not a test. It's how do you, how do you accomplish um, things in your workplace. And so it's very project-based. We teach our content at a strategic level. We know that you're going, that people are going to have a finance person uh, that they can call upon, or they have marketing expertise within the organization or can find that expertise. We're not trying to make you a CFO. We're not trying to make you a marketer. We're not trying to make you an HR person. We want to give you enough information so that you can look at what's coming in what information is coming in, what kind of questions you need to ask to make good decisions to move your plan, your organization forward. So it's, um, it's, we, we keep it highly relevant, very active and quick. It's a 12 month program. It's pretty intense, but it also, you know, if you think about the time value of money is this, do you want to work on an MBA for three, four or five years, which you can do, and there's opportunities out there to do that. Or do you want to hunker down for a year and get it done and be on your way? Yeah, it makes sense. Maybe you could give an example of a, a specific class or an offering that you're particularly excited about that um, illustrates this idea of giving the strategic level intel needed to be able to, you know, functionally uh, pursue leadership without having necessarily all of the details that you get buried in uh, asking someone to be a, a, a chief marketing officer or something because they're not going to do that. They just need to know high level, you know, how do we function in administration leadership in the healthcare setting? 
So we don't have standalone three-hour classes. We have a 12-hour of course credit every semester, and we teach in an integrated fashion. So for example, let's say that uh, we're going to talk about your P&L statement. So first, we're gonna, the, there's going to be a faculty member that comes in and goes through what does a P&L, what does a profit and loss statement look like? What does that mean in terms of your organization? What do the different lines mean? How are those things calculated? And then we're going to also talk about the, any regulatory issues that come out of that or what do write-offs mean? How do you do that? What's the legal process? What's the regulatory issues that come up around that? Then we're going to talk about um, the people issues that fall in that. There may be a line around labor. Okay, so what falls into the labor category and what sort of things do you need to be thinking of? What are the issues? What are the costs? Is there a merger and acquisition? Is that a line? We start, we start putting all the pieces together. There's not a leader in this country, whether they're in healthcare or not, that can wake up one day and say, today, I'm only going to deal with marketing. And tomorrow, I'm only going to deal with strategy. It all works together. All the levers work together. And so we teach information that way. So we'll take an issue, we'll start somewhere, but we start filling in all the different variables that have to play in to that ultimate decision that you're going to make. It's not like clinical medicine. There's very few right or wrong answers. It's business. And so it's deciding on a path and how do you support that path? What are the risks associated with that path? And how do you mitigate those risks? Makes sense. So, you know, there's obviously doctors coming in of all specialties um, and all backgrounds and all types of employer and institutional backgrounds. I'm, I'm curious, how much flexibility is there within the curriculum to pursue a certain sort of sub niche or sub interest in the way that you guys have your curriculum structured? The, the curriculum is 36 hours of, of, these, of this integrated block of the core content. There's nine hours that's associated with a year-long project. It's called an organizational action project. And that is where you can specialize um, and you're working on a project all year with the help of a faculty member around a topic of your interest. And we want that topic to be of strategic importance to where you are and what you're trying to do. So an example of uh, one individual from last year, he was an anesthesiologist and he, his project was a service expansion at a growing rural hospital. So in order to do that, he had to talk about CRNAs. He had to talk about staffing. He had to talk about salaries. He had to talk about logistics. Who are we going to cover? He had to talk about marketing. What would you do if I, if I add these people? How are you going to get the patients in? He had to do a competitor analysis. He had to do financial plans. He had to do operational strategies to put all that pieces, those pieces together to come up with the yeah. best plan. And then is that something where these uh, you know, students can then sort of take that plan and literally go implement it in their real life practices? Yes, and some already start implementing it before they even graduate. That's great. With regards to the faculty, are, are there MDs on staff, and how does that work? Who's teaching these classes, and what kind of experience do they bring to the table? We have uh, PhDs in their specialty areas, and all of them are doing some sort of consulting in, in the real world outside of the ivory tower, so they, they keep up with current issues and what's going on in the field of healthcare. But we also have some MDs on sta uh, staff. We have an MD pediatrician by training very much into the quality world, and he does process improvement and quality for us. We have another physician who's past president of the American Medical Association. He's coming in talking about healthcare policy and advocacy. We're bringing on another physician who is dealing with statistics and IT and how do those things integrate in an organization uh, setting and what do you need to know around data analytics. And so um, we, we definitely, we also have advisors that work on the OAPs as, a, as, as project advisors. So you're doing this year-long project. If we don't have a specialty on staff, 
we bring in physicians that are specialists and they could help you with the project. Uh, are there, to what extent are alum involved in this? We do have some alum that come back and do project advising for us or teach uh, specific lectures that uh, we think would be useful. Every spring, we have a physician leadership symposium where we invite our alumni to come talk about what they're doing. We have current students there, prospective students there, guests to try to get a group of you know, 150, 200 like-minded physician leaders on, um, on our campus to talk about issues that are important to them. You know, you mentioned the executive MBA is not for everyone. And I love it when people come out and say, listen, this might not be for you. I think it just can kind of clear the air. And uh, I'd love to hear for whom is this a good fit and for whom maybe it, it's not a good fit to pursue this type of uh, degree. So it, an MBA is not going to solve anyone's career issues or anyone's dissatisfaction. It is a way to get information, knowledge, build a network that can help you figure out a path forward. Um, and there's other ways to figure out that path forward. Whichever sort of MBA you choose or any sort of degree that you choose, it is a investment of time and money. And so you have to make sure it's the right fit for you. If somebody wants to just get the degree, just get the letters after their name, there's other ways to do that. I don't think you have to know exactly what you want to do with the MBA uh, in order to get an MBA, but it is helpful to, um, whether you want to start a company, whether you want to learn how to personally invest better, whether you have plans to be a leader uh, and, and want to get the right skills, it's helpful. I think if you don't have any insight on why you're doing this, it's a big time commitment and money commitment to do it just for kicks. I think you could probably say that about any type of higher education. I mean, I, I have that conversation frequently, even with undergrad, right? Don't pay $150,000 for something you don't know why you're getting it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it doesn't mean that those reasons might not change. You may come in thinking you want to be a CMO, but then you, um, by the time you graduate, you realize, yeah, what I really want to do is be the chief um, informatics officer, not the chief medical officer. I mean, so you might switch what you want to do, but you're talking about spending 20 to 25 hours work a week on top of what you're already doing. And so you want to be clear about at least have some direction that you want to take. Uh, you mentioned the idea of network. I think that's really important to explore in the context of the MBA, because I think whether it's healthcare or any other type of MBA, the, the network is a, a really key consideration for the value of that degree. Can you talk a little bit about how that functions in your program, the idea of the value of the network? Every new class is a group of between 40 and 50 physicians from all over the U.S. and all over the world that come together most of them would never have the opportunity to meet otherwise. And they're also like-minded. They're there for similar reasons because they, they, they want to make an impact and they need new, need new information to make that impact. And so you're immediately sort of with your people, right? You, you can have the same conversations with them. So you're building a network. We actually have our physicians work in group settings throughout the year. We find that that's something that helps physicians grow in their leadership ability because as you move into leadership positions, you're working with groups and you need to know how to function within that setting in a way that may be different than clinical. And then after graduation, we have an alumni network. We have, we send out emails, we have our physician leadership symposium, we have newsletters. We're always trying to, we, we try to keep the alums in touch with each other. Some classes keep in touch with each other as well outside of what we do. I get physicians from 10 years ago that are now CEOs of a hospital system. They send me job postings to send out to our alums because they know what kind of education they've received and what kind of people they are. And so we have this really rich job posting 
process as well. Great. You mentioned, you know, that this is a very demanding track, obviously. And if it's 20 to 25 hours a week for a year, you, you take that and you put it in the, try to shoehorn it in the life of a busy clinician who's potentially also married with kids and trying to make a lot of things happen. Can you talk about how you help your students sort of navigate this, this time period, which can be very demanding and, and how they make that work? Interestingly, it's different for different specialties. You know, anesthesiology, if you're doing shift work and you have some days off during the week or a day after call, you can, you can shoehorn your work into those days off. And so for sometimes for anesthesiology, it works pretty well. For other specialties where it's you know, more of a nine to five or more clinical work during the week and office work during the week, it might be a little tougher to, to figure that out. There's a couple things that we do where we're very upfront about the workload. Before we even admit somebody, we help them understand what to expect. We do make the projects. All our work is applied. It's not just a random paper that you're writing. It is tied back to your organization. So we try to you know, kill that two birds with one stone and help maximize your time. We're also really flexible. I had somebody call me earlier in the summer. Hey, I know I have this assignment, this marketing assignment coming up. But guess what? I had um, my president leave. I've had to step in to take over some of her work and I can't get it done. And I said, no worries. You know, here's two more weeks. Can you get it done in two more weeks? Yes. Great. Let's, let's, you know, make that happen and go forward. So we also understand that while the MBA and school is important, it is probably on your list of top 15 priorities and it's not the number one priority. When you're in medical school, it was a little different, right? Uh, and it's, it's changed now. You're in a different place, different part of your career. And we tr- we're very pragmatic and we treat it accordingly. And in the context of some of this group work that you mentioned and the applied project, is, is it common to have um, groups comprised of similar specialty or do you try to do like a multi-specialty approach or does it depend on the project? How does that usually work? It, it's usually multi-specialty because as physician leaders move up in organizations, they have to work with different specialties. And so this is a very safe, rich learning environment to have those interactions and to understand where other specialties might be coming from in a different way, not in a not necessarily in a clinical decision way, but in, in other in other ways. So it's usually multi-specialty. We do have some specialties that come together to do their organizational action project. You might do a joint year-long project. We had a joint project around a new PACU model of care for high-risk ENT surgical patients last year. And that was two individuals from the same organization that worked together to make that happen. Great. So maybe you could give me one or two specific examples of people who have gone through your program and, and it opened up an opportunity for a certain type of role or a certain responsibility set that they were uniquely equipped for that they you know could, couldn't have attained without the MBA. Dr. Sonia Peace is a graduate from several years ago, I think maybe five years ago. I hope I'm not dating her too far in the past. She is an anesthesiologist and had interest and had been doing some management around being a regional director for an organization in the anesthesiology unit. Her MBA work both gave her the skills and the confidence that she needed to expand her leadership role and also got her the attention of people higher up in the organization because of the projects that she was working on. And right now, she's the chief clinical officer for the anesthesiology division of Team Health. And that was not an immediate result of her MBA, but it, again, put her on that path. So in addition to the skills, that confidence that she could speak that business language and make good, solid business decisions that would help her organization was important. 
we also have people that because of their organizational action project end up being a chief quality officer for a hospital. Uh, that's not uncommon, or chief medical officer of a hospital. They uh, again, this because these projects usually mean you have to go out and meet two people, get data from people you don't normally work with. The, the hospitals start understanding what you're trying to do, and if you and you have this great plan that you're starting to implement, and you see very tangible changes in a process or an output or flow in the hospital system, then when there's an opportunity in the system, they're going to come. The the, the the people making those decisions, the other leaders are going to come to you and say, hey, I see what you're doing. Are you interested in taking this role? Are you interested in pursuing uh, this project next? Great. With regards to, uh, you know, the having students, I, I imagine, all over the place, how does that work as far as do people take these classes remote at all? Or is there coordination remotely? Or is, is it mostly on site as far as the, the teaching and the, the work goes? On site classes are one week a quarter. So January. May, August, and December. So you come to UT Knoxville for one week. And in between those on-site residencies, we have Saturday morning classes uh, from 9 to 12 Eastern, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern, that are recorded because we understand that physicians may be on call or in surgery suites, et cetera. And so we do record those for you to for you to listen to later. Beyond those scheduled times, you are working on projects um, at your own schedule. Makes sense. Is it customary for employers to often pick up the tab for this or are doctors coming out of their own pocket to pay for it? Yes. <laughs> and so depending on the size of the organization, help can look like full tuition payment, partial tuition payment. It could be time off that doesn't go against your vacation days. It could be a standard educational stipend that you take. Most of our physicians, I say most, two-thirds of our physicians get something from their organization. It may be small, it may be larger, but a significant portion still pay out of pocket. Makes sense. Can you give an example of maybe a couple of these organizational action projects? Students have completed that they've gone back to their employer and it's really been transformative or very impactful when they kind of bring that, bring their MBA coursework back to the home base. So individual last year did a project on pediatric anesthesia cases in a tertiary care freestanding hospital, and it was increasing first case on-time starts that impacted the flow of the surgery suite and an increased satisfaction for the surgeons and the anesthesiology and the patients, most importantly. It also had an impact on the revenue that the hospital saw. If you're starting on time, things aren't going late. You don't have to cancel surgery. Right, it trickles all the way down. So that that he implemented that before he even graduated last year. We have another one here about um, implementing a medical assisted treatment facility uh, to become medically and financially stable. And it was um, around illicit, you know, drug usage. How do you um, deal with opioid use? How do you provide in-depth services and treatment? to help the community, but also to help the organization appropriately factor in the resources needed to serve these patients and reduce the use of opioids in the future. So less tangible results, but a critical situation that needed to be addressed in this individual's place of work in his home. Okay, great. So I, w- I want to wrap up here in a moment, and in doing so, I'm I'm interested. You know, if I put myself in the shoes of uh, an early career attending, either in pain or anesthesia, who is considering an MBA, considering leadership, 
looking at the the UT program, what kinds of things ought I know about the way that you guys, you know, the way that your program is built or the way that the network functions or any other relevant factors? What should I know as far as being able to accurately evaluate? Am I a good fit for uh, the MBA at UT? So any MBA program you look at is going to cover certain content, marketing, statistics, strategy, econ, finance, accounting. You're going to get content wherever you go that is uh, similar. It's how the content's delivered. It's how you learn. It's how um, applied versus uh, textbook it is. That, that's one of the big difference. And then how does it fit into your life? Is it something that's immediately useful and you're doing projects that will help you gain a foothold into whatever it is you want to do? Or is it more esoteric and theoretical? And so you're not quite sure how to use it uh, and apply it. So I think the, the quickest way, it's, it's sort of the um, see one, do one, teach one model. The quickest way you can uh, see it, do one, it, it, it's going, you're going to retain that information and, and immediately start impacting your career growth, your career trajectory uh, very quickly. I think that's something to think about. You have to also factor in the cost of the program. There are programs that cost $30,000 and there are programs that cost $200,000. And so what is the right program for you based on how much the time com- commitment is, uh, how long it is, and then your, your learning style and, and where you want to go, what, what would make sense for you? So our program is $76,000 for a year program. That is mid-range for a program. Um, but remember too, it's also one year a program. So you get done, you start in January and our students graduate in December. So it's very quick. So I, I really appreciate the, the passion and the vision that you bring. It's, it's clear that you really care about what you're doing and the fact that you come from a family of physicians, I'm sure further informs um, how much of yourself you put into this program. So I'd love to hear just in your own words as we close, just a little bit about kind of why do you do what you do and what's your favorite part about being a, a program director for an executive MBA program? Oh my gosh. Um, what, why do I do what I do? I adore, I am passionate about helping these very bright, skilled individuals like their jobs and, and have an impact and feel good about what they're doing. We take our brightest people in the, in the U.S. and put them through medical school. And I think that the industry has left some people behind in that. And I love that physicians are starting to regain a place at the table as medical decisions and hospital decisions are being made. It's swinging back. And I love that I can be a part of that. Anything I can do to make people regain their passion and be impactful, I'm all for. And my faculty feel the same way. One of my favorite things about being in this field is keeping up with our alumni and hearing about what they're doing after they graduate. It's phenomenal to see what they're getting into. It could be state politics, federal politics, I had an individual that uh, within six months of graduating, he started working at a medical device company in global medical affairs. He got to couple his clinical practice and knowledge with his business interests and his desire to impact his field at a very broad strategic level. And that makes my heart sing. Great. Well, that's an awesome answer. I really appreciate your insights. And uh, Dr. Kate Ashley, really appreciate your time today on the Anesthesia Success Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Justin. Hey, Justin here. This may shock you to learn, but I am actually not a full-time podcaster. I also run a financial planning company called Quantify Planning, where I work closely with anesthesia and pain docs to build and implement customized financial plans. If you're interested in working with a financial planner who knows many of the ins and outs of your profession, shoot me an email or head on over to quantifyplanning.com for more information. 
If you're a resident or fellow, I can also offer you a free student loan analysis if you're interested, but there might be a waiting list, so check out the link over there to see. If you're interested in learning more about the topics we discussed today, head over to anesthesiosuccess.com to join our community of residents and attendings and others to ask a question or get more free resources. If and only if you like this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe. Thank you very much for listening to the Anesthesia Success Podcast.